Thank you for tuning in to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. I am your host, Daniel McDonald. On tonight's program, we are previewing the Milledgeville Players production of Neil Simon's early Broadway hit, Barefoot in the Park. The Milledgeville Players will stage Barefoot in the Park this week in Georgia College's Russell Auditorium with performances at 7.30 p.m. Friday and Saturday, August 3rd and 4th, and a matinee performance at 2 p.m. Sunday, August 5th. Joining me today to talk about the staging of Barefoot in the Park in Milledgeville is Milledgeville Players President Tom Tony. Tom, welcome back to WRGC Studios. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure to host you again. Well, I myself, I must admit that I was not familiar with Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. So I thought we'd start our audience off assuming they are like me and need an introduction to Barefoot in the Park. Well, Barefoot in the Park actually is probably the most successful play that Simon ever had on Broadway. It uh, was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Play in 1964 and it's just a really good cute funny comedy it's about a young couple paul and Corey bradder they are newlyweds in every sense of the word they have only been married for six days and they are moving into an apartment the apartment is problematic to put it mildly it's a six-story walk-up to begin with so you pretty much have a pretty good cardiovascular workout just getting up there it is freezing cold. This is all taking place in February. They have a skylight that has a hole in it so snow can come through into the apartment. Paul is a lawyer. He is very straight arrow, conservative. He wants things in their proper place. Corey is a free spirit. She is wild. She loves living life. She thinks as long as we have love, everything can work out. Paul would like some heat in the place, and he would like it if the radiator wasn't the coldest thing in the frickin' apartment. So they're starting off in kind of a little bit of a rocky situation. In the middle of all this, Corey's mother shows up, and she's not happy with the six-story walk-up either. And they also discover they have a neighbor. They have a lot of interesting neighbors, but the one they particularly learn is Victor Velasco. He lives in an apartment in the attic. To get to his place, he has to crawl through their apartment. So they kind of meet when he's crawling through their apartment to get to his attic apartment. So Corey gets this wonderful idea. She feels her mother needs to get out and get more active. So she arranges a date between her and Victor Velasco, and she and Paul will go with them. Paul thinks it's a horrible idea. Corey thinks it's a wonderful idea. And from there... Things progress, and it's one disaster after another as these two try to figure out what they have in common, what they don't have in common. And the whole name of the play is based on a line where the two of them are fighting because Corey wants Paul to be more spontaneous, more free-living, and says, I wish you would just do wild, crazy things like go barefoot in the park, which to Paul is absolutely ridiculous. So that's kind of the basic idea. It all takes place in just a few days in a cold February in a New York City brownstone apartment, watching these two newlyweds trying to figure each other out and seeing if things are going to work. 
I mean, from what I've seen in my research for our interview today, uh, my first question is just, how did these two come together in the first place? And how did they get to hear those wedding bells? Um, of course, that is outside of the scope of, of the timeline of the play. That's always one of the questions. The earliest thing you know about is that they had a honeymoon for six days at the Plaza Hotel. And you assume things happen to get them to that situation. But it's never really clear how they came together or why they came together. They just did. And there obviously is this incredible love between them, but there's also just these incredible personality differences. I guess in some ways, if we say there's a theme to the play, it's like, can two people who really are that different actually love each other and stay together? And in some respects, that's sort of what it's all about. Because yeah, they're married when the play opens. And that's basically what you know through most of the play is that they were married, they had a honeymoon, they moved in this place, and suddenly there's Corey's mother in the middle of everything. And one of the other great things um, about this, as we look back 50 plus years, it seems like such a nostalgic look at a very pivotal time in New York City. It was. We're talking about the 1960s. A lot of things were changing in New York City at that time. The 60s have kind of an interesting vibe in terms of New York to them. It was both a time of the Bohemian era taking place, of uh, the coffee house district, folk music, all the things taking place in Soho and Greenwich Village, various uh, freedom marches taking place, a lot of things going on, a lot of music coming out of New York at that time. It also was a time that some aspects of New York City, a lot of people felt were really going downhill fast. Times Square was becoming inundated with adult bookstores and porn movie shops. A lot of people didn't feel safe going to Times Square anymore. Uh, they felt the city was sort of becoming too dirty, too ratty. Probably the movie Midnight Cowboy maybe catches that seamiest side of New York better than anything does. But on the other hand, you also had this creativity taking place. You had all the, like, like Corey herself, she's this wild, wonderful young lady. You can see her just like running around with flowers in her hair, going barefoot in the park. Part of that era that was taking place in the 60s. So the play kind of reflects that aspect of New York, that moment in time in the 1960s that was unique for so many places and so many things. I grew up in the 60s, and it's a time I often get very nostalgic for, though I also know it wasn't perfect, no matter how much our memories like to sometimes make it that way. Well, and I think these two characters come together and they embody those two worlds colliding there. And especially in the epicenter of it, because, of course, the play takes place in Greenwich Village. Yeah, and that's a good point, because they are. They are like the polar opposites of what America was to some extent. You had this one who is like, come on, live your life. Let's be free. You know, be an individual. Don't conform to things. Try new things. And then you had the other was like, I have a job. I need to make money. For you to have this freedom, for you to have this wild apartment, for you to be able to do this, I need to be able to be in a courtroom. Paul is a lawyer. I need to try this case. And in fact, the night that they move into this cold, drafty apartment, the very next morning, he has his first big case. And he wants to prepare for that. He wants to be able to relax and get ready for that. And he's freezing in this apartment, and she's wanting to get all frisky and everything, still in that honeymoon mode. And he, he wants to take a bath, and there isn't a bathtub in the place. The two of them kind of represent the terms we would use back then, the establishment, conservative, you know, let's be careful. We got to do things in the right way. 
and wild, free, oh, let's just do this and love will keep us together. Love will make everything work out in the end. Yeah, but some heat in the place sure would be nice as well. Right, well, we are the love crowd. But uh, it, we have just run out of time for this segment, so we're going to take this opportunity for our first short break. But if you are joining us, we are looking forward to the Milledgeville Players presentation of Barefoot in the Park, which will be staged at the Russell Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We have 7.30 start times on Friday and Saturday and a 2 p.m. matinee on Sunday. Uh, joining me today to talk all about it is the Milledgeville players tom tony stay tuned and we'll be right back with more villageville matters Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you are just joining us, we are talking about Barefoot in the Park. That is the next presentation coming to us from the Milledgeville Players. Um, it will be staged at 7.30 p.m. Friday and Saturday and 2 p.m. this Sunday in the Georgia College Russell Auditorium. Joining me today to talk about this presentation is Milledgeville Players President Tom Tony. This time, I thought we'd talk about the Milledgeville players' approach to the play. As we were kind of just evoking that time and place ourselves, um, I thought I'd just start off with that. Tom, how does it feel to be bringing that time and place back to life on the stage? Well, actually, it's a time I'm very fond of, as I was saying earlier. So I kind of like the idea of bringing it in. If you live through that era, it will probably bring some nostalgia to you, both in terms of the way the language is handled, the way the characters are. If you are not of that era, well, actually, it's sort of interesting how many people today who are younger people who are, say, like in their 20s, love that era. Now, they don't often know sometimes some of the nuances of it, but they love the clothes. They love the designs. They love the fashions. They love the, the colors of that era. And that's one thing in terms of our approach to this that we've been pretty meticulous on, I guess. Um, the set, the painting of a set, the various pieces of furniture that are being used, the appliances that are there. They are meant to really evoke that era to make you think of the 60s. There were certain certain colors in the 60s that you just never see anymore. Uh, there were certain shades of greens and certain shades of, of blues that 
as soon as you see them, you just think, oh my God, that's something from the 60s or early 70s. It just has to be. Uh, when I went in there the other day and they were putting together the set and doing stuff where they were bringing in various set pieces, there were these chairs, these vinyl chairs that will go around the kitchen table. And as soon as I saw those chairs, I was like, oh, my God, I think I had those chairs when I was a kid. I was like, I had to go over and sit on one. It was just, this is exactly, yes, we had chairs like this. So we're trying to make it when you see the set, when you see the pieces and you see the, the furniture, and as I said, the old refrigerator and everything else, you will think of that era. It will bring things out in terms of how that era looked, the colors, the feeling of it. It's fun to me being able to do something to bring something like that into, I guess now it's the 2000 teens for a lot of people who either weren't alive during that era or they may not really understand what some of the things were and how they looked during that time period. And what was it like kind of you mentioned evoking that language again? Yeah, I can't really think of specifics, but it's just the way people talk. There was a certain cadence sometimes. It wasn't just words that they used. It was sort of how they said the words. It just was not the same as what you hear today. And, of course, a lot of phrases and things were just different back then, running wild and being free. Neil Simon was a master at language, and for so many of his plays, you can just tell by the way he uses the words and the cadences of the sentences that he is writing as a part of that generation, as a part of that era. And of course, he grew up in New York and lived in New York. So most of all his plays are set in New York. And they are very much, again, part of that New York City era, that New York City setting and feel for the language. So as you just watch the play and listen to them talk, it just sounds like this is not what you would hear in a modern day play. This is not what you would hear in something that would had come out, say, in the last 15 years. It just has a different kind of feel to it. As I said, it's not, I know I've said it before, but it's not just the words, but it's the way they're spoken that's just different. And were there any unique challenges or um, just parts of this production uh, that have really stood out for you? A lot of it has been finding the right set pieces because uh, it, and that is not easy, uh, particularly finding things that look good and that are functional because you don't want to have something that's from the 1980s. It doesn't look right. So you have to find a refrigerator that looks like it came from the 60s. I'm really proud of the set. It is probably to me one of the best sets we've had for some time, both in terms of the actual construction of the walls, what we call flats, the way they, we arranged to have windows and doors in there. Theater stuff, when you start talking about set construction and uh, that kind of business, it's tricky. It's not easy. When people come to see a play, you may not be thinking about the work it took to build what you're looking at to create this apartment, but it takes a lot of work. And sometimes, you know, just by the nature of the beast, we have to do the best we can with what we've got. But this time, it's a really nice set. And it really does speak of that time period, that mid-60s time period that the play is set in. Well, it's good to hear you talk well about the set because I'm pretty sure that Paul is not going to be sharing those sentiments throughout <laughs> the course of the production. Yeah, and things change. That's one of the things, too, with this play is that it all takes place in their apartment. It's, a, it's, a, it's what's called a single set. But it does change because when the play opens, they don't have any furniture yet. Basically, there's some ladders around, some paint cans, things like that, some drop cloths, but there's no furniture. 
the way the Act 1 kind of progresses, a lot of it deals with things arriving, a telephone man coming to hook up a phone. Then in the second act, when we go on the second act, by that point, the furniture has arrived. So we have to do a lot of transitions between the first and second act in terms of moving off things like ladders, paint cans and stuff, moving in sofas, moving in chairs because the furniture has arrived. And one of the bits I was saying in the first act has to do with things like the phone man bringing up the phone. Later, the furniture guy arriving and all these flights of stairs they have to climb up to get to their apartment. And how by the time they get up there, they're just exhausted to even try to do anything. It takes them like three or four minutes to finally be able to speak because they're so out of breath. So it starts off as kind of, you know, you have the basic apartment setting, but then as the play progresses, things change. Things change. There's an old, there's a radiator in there that was that we built to make it look like a radiator from that era. But yeah, you are right. Uh, Corey, right off the bat, just sees all sorts of wonderful potential in this apartment. We can have this and this and this and this. And Paul's just looking at it like, there's a hole in the skylight. There's going to be snow coming through the hole in the skylight. She hasn't really thought about that too much. We're going to take another short break right now. Um, as you may surmise, uh, we are talking about the Neil Simon play Barefoot in the Park, uh, one of his longest-running hits on Broadway. Uh, that, of course, is the next presentation from the Milledgeville Players. Hear about it today and then go out and see it on Friday and Saturday in Sunday. They're doing a two-night run with a one-afternoon uh, matinee. Um, you can see Barefoot in the Park at the Georgia College Russell Auditorium this Friday and Saturday at 7.30 and then 2 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, joining me to entice you to come out and join the Millageal Players is their president, Tom Tony. Uh, but stay tuned. We'll talk more when we return to Millageal Matters.
Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you are just tuning in, we, of course, are asking you to come out and support one of Milledgeville's cultural institutions. That's the Milledgeville Players. This weekend, they will be staging the Neil Simon play Barefoot in the Park. The performances begin at 7.30 p.m. Friday. They have another 7.30 p.m. performance on Saturday in a matinee at 2 p.m. on Sunday, August 5th. Of course, all of these will be staged in Georgia College's Russell Auditorium uh, down in the heart of downtown Milledgeville on that beautiful downtown campus. Here today to invite you out is Tom Tony. He is the president of the Milledgeville Players. Now, we've talked a lot about the production in that last segment, but, um, uh, you know, of course, they're actors. Uh, they're bringing the characters um, to the stage. Uh, but let's focus a little bit on them because we have that opportunity. Uh, who are some of the cast members, uh, maybe even the crew, of this performance of Barefoot in the Park? Well, actually, I'm really happy with the cast. Somehow we ended up with a really, really top-rate cast to me. Now, it's a small cast. It's a small cast play. The two leads are Mary Helen Higgs and uh, Clay Garland. They play Corey and Paul Bratter. Uh, both of them have been involved with past productions of the Millersville Players. They both have worked backstage. They have been on stage. They are very good at playing these characters. Mary Helen playing this free spirit, wild girl who just, you know, wants everything to work out. And Clay playing the frustrated, what the heck are you talking about, lawyer Paul. They're working great. And we have two Milledgeville Players veterans playing Corey's mother, Ethel, and um, Victor Velasco. That's Sandy Diamond and Ken Garland. Sandy has been in lots of places. She's been with the Milledgeville Players actually even longer than me. She's been there since the, the inception of the group. She's been in musical comedy Murders of 1940. Uh, she was one of the lead characters in Once Upon a Mattress, uh, all sorts of things. Ken Garland, and he's Clay Garland's father, Clay, who's playing Paul. Ken Garland has been with us for years now. He is great. Uh, probably a lot of people, when they think of Ken Garland, they will remember him as Pastor Mervyn Oglethorpe and all the Sanders family plays. So he's been doing quite a bit. So they're the four leads. A couple other people are in there as well. Doug Ivey, he actually worked with us indirectly a half year ago when we did a joint production with Georgia Military College. It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. Doug was in that. Doug plays the phone company guy. I was talking about how um, Corey wants a princess phone. So the phone company person has to arrive back that you didn't just get your own phone. The phone company owned the phone. So he has to slopper up that six-story walk up, try to get this phone installed, this princess phone for her. He has to come back several times to try to make sure everything works out right. And then another young fellow, Bradley Logan Crosby, he is also is a very important part. He's the furniture mover. He's the one who is supposed to be lugging all this furniture up the sixth floor. So that's the cast are those six people. Uh, as I said, the main ones, Mary Helen Higgs and uh, Clay Garland, Ken Garland and Sandy Diamond do a great job. William Bergamy is directing this play. This is the first time he's directed for us. He has been in several plays. He, again, was in It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. He played Clarence, the angel. Uh, he also was in uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying a couple years ago, and he was in Camelot. So he wanted to try his hand at directing, so he's doing the directing this time around. I think I mentioned earlier Amy Zipperer, who directed It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. She's doing a lot with the set design and really trying to make sure everything is very authentic. So it's a small cast, but 
It's a good one. They're really working well together. And I don't think we could have cast any people better for these particular roles than the ones we've got. So I'm very excited about the cast that we've got for this play and for everything that's taking place backstage for the sets and for the props. It's a lot of props in this play. And for anyone who's done theater, you know, when you deal with props, that's just a lot of business. You got to always be taken care of and making sure they're in the right place. So it's going to be a great production. I really do think that based on the cast and the crew we've got working with us. Well, as we come towards the close of our conversation today, I was wondering, you know, why did the Milledgeville players choose Barefoot in the Park? Uh, why is it a play that continues to resonate with audiences this many years after its debut? We were looking to just do sort of a good comedy, just a good fun play. And that's what Barefoot in the Park is. It doesn't have any really deep hidden meanings or messages to it. It's just a comedy. It's just a fun play. And that's what we were looking for. Uh, it's a play that has been around for quite some time. It's interesting. A lot of people I have brought this play up to they will not really recognize it until I start talking about it a little bit. Then they'll all of a sudden remember, oh, I remember that movie. Uh, the movie was very popular. It came out back in 67, starred Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. And uh, Robert Redford actually was reprising his role as Paul the lawyer because he also played that part on Broadway. It was one of his early theatrical roles. Uh, so a lot of people remember it from that movie. And I think Neil Simon's plays are very well written. Neil Simon is a great playwright. Not all of his plays are done a lot anymore. You don't see the Star-Spangled Girl being done all that much or Come Blow Your Horn. But others like Barefoot in the Park and You Ought to Be in Pictures, The Odd Couple, Sunshine Boys, it just seems as if people just always like those plays. They're just funny, good plays that, you know, anyone can feel, they want to feel like, oh my God, well, some people like this, will people be offended or whatever by this? I mean, other than the fact that I guess you could say, yeah, they're sitting in the 60s, so certain Certain things may be said sometimes, like today might be considered a little politically incorrect. Anything harsh, you know, we normally change. But you don't have to worry about the language or anything like that in these plays. It's just going to be, you're just going to come and you're just going to have fun. All right. So, yes, I was, uh, as I was researching, uh, of course, just um, uh, stories about real life people, uh, people who have mm -hmm. problems, but in the end, deep down, are just good at heart. Yeah. Part of the thing with this play is trying to figure out. In the end, what is going to go on with Paul and Corey? By the end of the first act, you're going to like both of these people. They're, they're different as night and day, just as people are different as night and day. But you like them. You end up liking both of them early on. That's very important to do in a play. You want to establish that these are the characters that are kind of be the major protagonists. You want the audience to like them. Uh, if you somehow write a play and right off the bat you don't like one of the major characters, you're probably fighting a losing battle unless something's going to happen in the end that's going to get rid of them or something. So this play just deals with real people. The parent, uh, Corey's mother and Mr. Velasco, you can picture this as being like this mother who doesn't understand why is her daughter moved to this weird apartment. She could be living in a nice house in New Jersey where nice girls live. She's moved to this weird apartment. And Victor Velasco, he just kind of captures that image of that bohemian atmosphere of lower Manhattan in the early mid-1960s where you just find these weird characters who in some respects maybe are a little scary, but in other respects they're wonderful. They're just unique people that you almost couldn't picture probably meeting anywhere else. When we talk about meeting anywhere else, where will we meet the Milledgeville players again after this early August performance? Well, I wish we had a specific I could tell you about, but right now the plans are we will be doing something probably in the November to early December range. 
We have traditionally done plays then for many years. That's when we did the Smoke on the Mountain, Sanders Family plays, which a lot of people really did enjoy. We used to do those at Allen's Market. And last year, of course, we partnered with GMC and did the It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. And that worked out well. So we may do that again. Uh, We may do another small type of play. But the one thing we have found is that when we do a play in uh, that November, December range, it sounds kind of corny, but... People enjoy a play that makes them feel good. They just enjoy kind of, I guess, again, that holiday season, the holiday spirit. That's why, you know, the Sanders family plays, people used to always come up afterward and tell us how they just felt so good after seeing those plays. We got that same uh, reception with A Wonderful Life, a radio play. And so we're probably going to look at doing something like that somewhere between like mid-November and early December. So keep looking for those announcements coming out. There'll be something there. All right. We'll be looking forward to welcome you back um, when when you know what you'll know. <laughs> uh, but um, you're going to hear from me again. You've been hearing it from me um, across our program. Uh, Tom, one more invitation to come out to Barefoot in the Park. Please come out and go barefoot through the park with Corey and Paul. It'll be taking place on Friday and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. in beautiful, rustic Russell Auditorium on the Georgia College campus. And Sunday, the furniture starts getting moved in at 2 p.m. So earlier matinee, come on out and have a good time. Well, Tom, it's always a good time when you join me here on Millageville Matters. I appreciate it. Good to be here. You've been listening to Millageville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight, we were looking forward to the Milledgeville premiere of the next Milledgeville Players production, and that is Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. As Tom said, you can see Barefoot in the Park at 7.30 p.m. on Friday and Saturday, August 3rd and 4th, and they'll have a matinee performance at 2 p.m. Sunday, August 5th. Our guest today, of course, was Milledgeville Players President Tom Tony. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It has been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Milledgeville Matters, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time. <laughs>